Hi, I'm Julie Lucas, and welcome to the Darlington Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dawit Lemma, Darlington Class of 1997, and owner of Crimson Aviation. Today, we'll be talking about life since Darlington, his career, and our Darlington Connects program. Welcome to the Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia. Join us as we take a look inside and outside our classrooms and connect with students, teachers, alumni, and more. Thank you for joining us today, Dawit. How are you doing? Awesome. Really, really look forward to participating in this podcast. All right. Well, first of all, Dawit, tell me, where are you right now? I am actually right now sitting in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, which is on the eastern coast of, or kind of northeastern coast of, of Africa. Perfect. Now, Dawit, how long have you been in Ethiopia? Uh, I moved back in 2012. Yeah. Uh, but so it's been, it'll be nine years this September. Very good. Now, where were you before? Um, before that, I was actually in Switzerland uh, because that's when, well, my parents, actually my parents moved, moved to Switzerland my senior, our, our senior year in high school, uh, that January. Uh, and after college, I ended up going, traveling a little bit, but I ended up back in Switzerland. Uh, and then, um, yeah, around, I think 2007, 2008, my dad retired and kind of moved back here to Ethiopia. And uh, I started coming, visiting it uh, for holidays and then started seeing opportunities here um, uh, and around 2010, 11. Uh, really started coming back a little bit more, and then um, 2012, I said, you know what, it's time, it's time to move back. I just felt the opportunity was here. Dawit, that's amazing. Well, I am very excited to talk to you today, uh, being the owner of Crimson Aviation. Let's start a little bit today by talking about Darlington and how you ended up at Darlington, and then what we'll do is uh, talk a little bit about that, and then we'll talk a little bit about your education post-Darlington and your career and how you ended up where you are, which is an amazing place. So we're super proud of you and uh, can't wait to hear a little bit more about it. So let's go back to the beginning about how did you end up at Darlington? Well, it's an interesting story because um, like my dad worked for an NGO. So I was born in Ethiopia, but we left when I was five years old. So my dad got his first posting in Zambia uh, in Southern Africa. And the school that I went to, uh, the American school in, in Lusaka ended at eighth grade. And actually, there was two of us, uh, you know, uh, Nyankwe, our other classmate. So, um, you know, Nyankwe and I have actually been together together since second grade. So we went from second grade to eighth grade in Zambia and then freshman to senior year in high school. So we were together 10 years um, across two continents, which is an amazing story on its own. Um, and what happened was our families and the school also kind of helped a lot of the families because we're all expats, you know, work for embassies or, or you know, international organizations. So the, the school... Um, helped families kind of figure out what to do in terms of uh, boarding school in Europe, uh, Europe, other other countries in Africa, in the U.S. And then what uh, my mom and Yankwe's mom started just started looking for schools that we could both go to together. And um, Yankwe's older sister was in was at this time she was already at Yale, I think. Yeah, so she was kind of our point person in the U.S. Uh, and we applied to several schools. Actually, most of them were in the Northeast, uh, you know, Connecticut, Massachusetts, all of that, uh, and Darlington as well. And um, yeah, we both got accepted to Darlington. And uh, yeah, so our parents were like, okay, we want to send them together. <laughs> to, you know, I think it was more our moms were kind of like, yeah, let, let our boys be together. Uh, at least, with, you know, they got each other. So that's how, that's how we ended up at Darlington. Um, yeah, 1993. That's awesome. I didn't realize that y'all had such a history. Knew that you yeah, were yeah. friends, but I didn't realize it went back that far. That's amazing. And everything's better with a buddy. Yeah, always, always. Well, tell me what Yankwe's doing right now. 
Nyangwe is actually working for uh, the U.S. government. He was working for USAID, uh, the development agency. Um, so he's a diplomat. Uh, he's and he, like me, moved back to Africa several years ago. He got a, his first post was in Tanzania. I think he was there for four years. Then he moved to Kenya. He was there for four years. Now he's in South Africa. So. Fortunately for me, that means I get to see my old buddy uh, a lot. So I've seen Yang quite, quite frequently here in Ethiopia. He's come. He was, you know, a groomsman for my. Uh, he was one of my groomsmen. Um, whenever I went to Kenya, I'd check up on him. Uh, so yeah, so he's 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 like me, back back where it all started. I guess we're all we're both back in Africa. Yeah, just home. Home always pulls us back, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Okay, so uh, you are an awesome athlete. So I would love to hear about what you did at Darlington and uh, what sports you did. And you have some you have some accolades to share with your sports as well. Yeah. So um, I actually did quite, did quite a different sport, a few sports at Darlington, but um, I ended up uh, swimming, tennis and track. Uh, what kind of the sports I excelled in, um, you know, swimming. It was awesome. I was the only, my senior year, I was the only four-year letterman on the swim team, varsity letterman. So that was kind of interesting. Um, it was also kind of that was also kind of fun, just because you know, back then, you know, Africans or African American swimming was not was not a sport common. So I used to enjoy whenever we used to go to swim meets outside, at Darlington, or you know, people would come and get the shock when they you know, see me. <laughs> but then, yeah, but once I got in the pool, you know, I let, I let my swimming talk for me. So, um, so that was awesome. Um, tennis, uh, tennis was probably the, the number one sport. Uh, junior year, uh, Michael Van Sice and I, you know, won the match that got us the Georgia State title. Um, and then Mike, Mike, Michael and I were, were, were doubles partners. Uh, and our senior year, we went undefeated in the state of Georgia. Unfortunately, we, we, we lost in the second round of state, but uh, I mean, we still walked away with, 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 uh, with the high school state championship uh, our junior year. So that, that, was, that was pretty awesome. Um, and ironically, the sport that I tumbled on <laughs> and I actually ended up competing in high in, in college was track. Uh, and this is a really funny story because um, Mac Foss and I were, were, were in uh, Miss, remember Miss Ortega's English class? Y'all had, uh, y'all had Mr. Murray. Some of us had Mrs. Ortega. Which was I had Mr. Ortega. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you had Mr. Ortega as well? Yeah. Oh, well, they were in the same class. Yeah. Okay. So Mac, so one day Mac is like, Hey, psst, I'm like what Mac, <laughs> you don't, you don't, don't make me in trouble. Um, so they had that. I think like the next day they had it, or it might have been the same day. They had this the, the track meet against against Rome High, and that's our big rival. So, you know, they wanted to fill fill the track as much as possible. They wanted to, you know, everybody to show up and and, and whatnot. So they're like, hey, you know, we we need to fill the track. So you want to run? I was like, yeah. I was like, sure. Why not? It's like, what? It, we need we need someone to run the four hundred meters, like the third heat, the last last heat. Like I was like, cool. I'll do it. So, uh, you know, I got excused from tennis practice. Um, actually, I think I went, no, I went straight after tennis practice. So after tennis practice. <laughs> you know, I'm tired or anything. Yeah, you know, I put on the little, the little whatever, the little uh, Speedo looking, whatever the thing they had. The singlet, um, maybe? Yeah, singlet, that's what it was. Yeah, so went out there. Um, it was the third heat. So this is like the really slow, slow heat. And um <laughs> I remember I saw my my Rome mom, Mrs. Keene. She was because my 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 uh, my Rome parents. Uh, well, uh, Brett Keene, he he was on the track team. And Mrs. Keene looked at me like, "What are you doing here, dog?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, just filling in." <laughs> so and this is on the track, on the starting line. He was like, "Ah, oh, just 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 filling in." Uh, the gun went off, and I 
smoked everybody on, on the, on, in my heat and ended up placing like, um, I think in the top 10 or whatever, the top five of, of like Rome and Darlington. So um, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, and then I was just kind like, of impressive. Yeah, I was like, oh, all right, cool. I'm just walking off. And then um, I wonder if it was the same day or the next day, um, coach, um, I forgot the name, the, the head coach came up to me and he's like, so uh, Dawit, what, uh, what are you doing uh, next Tuesday? I'm like, I think we're, we're, we have, we have, uh, we have a, a tennis match against uh, Macaulay in Tennessee. It's like, what time are you going to be back for that? I was like, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's like, look, we have the, we have the Floyd County Invitationals uh, next Tuesday evening at the, the Barron Stadium. If I'm not mistaken. And uh, he's like, yeah, let me talk to Coach Ortega about that. <laughs> I was like, cool. He's like, I, he's like, I need you to run on the relay team. Like all right, um, and um, yeah, that was that was surreal. And you know, I think Coach Ortega said it was cool. And I remember after, you know, after we were in, in, in Chattanooga, we drove back. He dropped me off at at, at Barron Stadium. I remember, I remember changing in the in the van, um, and then went out there, ran the four by four um, relay, came second to uh, Rome High Vitas. and then fast forward, you know, a few months. I mean, I was still at this time still competing, um, competing. Um, Tennis-wise, so I never really practiced. I just would show up for the track meets and run. Um, and then uh, after the tennis season was over, we uh, I, I had a couple of weeks to train. Uh, we ended up winning the region. We won region, and then we ended up uh, getting the fourth place trophy at state. Uh, so um, yeah, that was that was kind of cool. That was actually really cool. <laughs> Here you go. You go to school all day. You run. You play tennis. Two different sports. Compete two different ones. And then I'm sure you're still back in time for study hall. Yeah, yeah. And actually, <laughs> I, enjoyed the, I enjoyed the track meets because you know we got to. Uh, back a little bit later. I mean, study hall for me was kind of cool. I remember I had free study hall and um, they didn't give me grief. I, I was like the only non-RA who had RA privileges. I, I, I you know, I, I mean, the only thing I did not get to do was go off campus, but yeah. Like, oh, There's nowhere to go anyway. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> That's impressive. That's very cool. Well, Thank so you. let me ask you this. Who was your favorite coach? I, I would say that, okay, indirectly, she, was, she wasn't directly my coach, but she was there. Uh, Mrs. Waddell was the diving coach. So during swim season, and you remember Mrs. Waddell, she was such a sweetheart. Physics class, she was like our mom. She was like, she was like the unofficial dorm mom, whatever. She just was such a sweetheart. So um, she was always very encouraging um, during the track, during swim meets, during, you know, during swim practice. Um, and you remember it was winter. Swimming was during during uh, winter season. So, like, she and remember how I, I know you guys. There's a new athletic facility, but do you remember the swimming pool back back then? That was like that was a dark, damp place. So, um, walking into there and seeing Swaddell and saying, you know, with her boisterous and just it was like it was like a ray of sunshine walking into into there. And it it just yeah, she was awesome. And she you know she was the diving coach, so she she did participate and give us you know she she. How to say she was the moral support for the swimmers because she was oh very positive. Oh my gosh, I love that. Oh, yeah. we'll have to share that with her. You know, that will make her day. Oh, uh, she was a wonderful woman, you know, in, in the swimming pool, you know, in the classroom. Um, and it, yeah, I, I just, just, she was a ray of sunshine for me for four years. I remember those, the, the worst part about swimming is y'all had those morning workouts. I remember the girls getting up in the morning and walking out in the freezing cold at like 6 a.m. or whatever to go, yeah. That was painful. And I, the, only re, the only reward we got out of that was if we didn't, because uh, I remember the, the swim meets were on Thursdays. So if you, if you I think you had, if you'd attended two or three morning practices, because they weren't mandatory, but they weren't optional, if you know what that means. 
but I think the rewards, like if you did two or three uh, morning uh, morning practices, you got off practice Friday afternoon. So that was and that was a reward just on its own. So Absolutely. But yeah, that, God, those, those and remember the, just the for us at least the girls' ones were closer. But coming from South Hall, oh, I mean, I was I was exhausted by the time I got to the swimming pool. Yeah, that's a long walk, no doubt. All right, tell me, what about a favorite teacher? Do you have a favorite teacher at Darlington, or is there something? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have two, actually. Um, first is Mr. Taylor. Mr. Taylor was my advisor, and he was also um, he was also my English, well, freshman English teacher. But um, I remember when my mom dropped me off at Darlington. You know, um, I remember we were sitting in, at the time, Brad Joya was the headmaster. It was before Mr. Rhodes became the headmaster. And, uh, Brad Joya and Mr. Taylor promised my mom they would take care of me. And Mr. Taylor did. He was very much like a father figure to me uh, at Darlington. You know, he, um, he, he scolded me when I needed to be scolded. He lifted me up when I needed to be lifted. He definitely defended me. Yeah, he was definitely like a father figure to me. And that's someone I have the utmost respect for, Marcus, Marcus Taylor. Uh, he, and, and I love his Southern drawl. I just love, you know, he just was a wonderful man to me. And the utmost respect for him. Um, have you stayed connected with him at all? I actually reached out to him on LinkedIn. I don't know, but I, I tried to reach out to him last year. Um, yeah. I guess I've been trying to reconnect. I, I completely disconnected from Darlington uh, for a long time, um, which I, I know is, is, is probably majority of, of, of dorm students, I think, uh, those who don't have connections to, to Rome to, and, and any boarding yeah. school. Yeah. Uh, but um, proactively reconnecting, uh, not just with you know the school, but also with friends you know, through social media. Um, and um, my my actual favorite favorite like actual teacher um, was m uh, Mrs. Mixon. She was my French teacher from freshman year to senior year. She was more than a teacher. Uh, I know because she was also she was originally Egyptian, and me being from Ethiopia originally, she, there was that connection as well. Um, she was like a mom to me as well. Uh, you know she. She looked out for me. It wasn't just the 45 minutes of, of French class. You know, she checked up on me. She ended up becoming my college guidance counselor. Um, and she was the one that convinced me not to go to the Naval Academy. <laughs> I'll never forget that conversation. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah, I was on my way to the Naval Academy. Uh, she was like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. You're not going to join, you're not joining the military. Um, um, but it was, yeah, and you know, she, she really, Wow, she she was really she was really kind. Again, like just another mother figure. Uh, she really looked out for me. She, um, I'll never forget it. My senior year, uh, our senior year. Uh, remember, remember we were tour guides. Remember the little, the the, the, oh, yeah. the cool thing. It was the whole tour guide thing. Um, due to getting in trouble at the beginning of senior year, um, I remember that Mr. Gordon informed me that um, that I was no longer a tour guide. And I was so buzzed. Mr. Mr. Hark, Mr. Hark. They were, they were the two that were in charge of that. Yeah. Uh, and then I was, and this was like at my fourth period lunch. I think I had lunch before French, whatever it was. And I, and I just kind of, I was, I was kind of sad about it. And then I remember walking into into French class, AP AP French, uh, and Ms. Mix was like, "What's wrong, dog?" I was like, "Yeah, they, you know, they they kicked me off the tour guides." She she just she just looked at me. She went. This is class. Class has started. She marched up to Mr. Gordon's class, at the office, at Mr. Hart's office. And she came back 10 minutes later. She's like, all good. You're back. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I was just blessed to have 
you know, I, I was blessed to actually have a, a male and female teacher who, uh, or, or staff who really, really were surrogates, were surrogate parents for me. Oh, I love that. She was an amazing teacher, amazing woman, mother to all. Oh, I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. That was very cool. All right, good. We've talked a little bit about time at Darlington, and uh, I would love for you to share with our listeners what happened after Darlington, because you left here, went to college. I'd love for you to tell that story and uh, tell us a little bit about where you went, what you were involved in, what you enjoyed, what you majored in, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, so um, after Darlington, I went to Purdue, uh, Purdue University, which is in West Lafayette, Indiana which is literally in, in cornfields. Uh, it's in between Indianapolis and Chicago, about almost halfway. Um, massive campus, huge campus. Uh, it's miles, square miles. Um, you know, it's a, it's a proper Big Ten conference school. You know, we had 47,000 students, uh, and yet we were the second smallest campus or, you know, school in the Big Ten. I think Ohio State had like 70,000 students. So. Um, you know, it, it's one of those typical big college, big state college experiences that I had. Um, but ironically, not ironically, I mean, Purdue is a, is a leading engineering program in the world. Uh, Purdue is, you know, the nickname for Purdue is, is the cradle of astronauts. Uh, Neil Armstrong went there. Uh, uh, Gus Grisham, the first man in space, went there. Uh, when I was there at Purdue, um, something like eight in 10 current astronauts had a degree from Purdue. Uh, so awesome engineering program across, you know, from aerospace to mechanical and all of that. So I, I actually measured, measured um, majored in aeronautical engineering and flight technology, which was linked to the engineering program, but also Purdue had a flight school. Um, aviation was always a passion I had since I was probably seven years old. Um, and so what I did was I, I was in school of technology, which was um, as well. And while I was at Purdue, I actually learned how to fly planes. Uh, I also got what you call an airframe and power plant mechanics license. Um, which is which makes me a licensed aircraft engineer um, and got all, all the way up to my commercial pilot's license. At the same time, I was, of course, taking engineering courses. Um, so that was academics. I will say academically, before I move to socially, that Darlington made school, made Purdue very easy. <laughs> um, that, I mean, you know, the study hall and all that stuff. I remember like my first week of my freshman year, sitting in the dorm was like, hey, I'm like, study hall. <clears throat> No, I, I can I can go out, my friends. I I don't you know, but <laughs> mindset like you know my mindset to be like seven to ten studying um, that discipline, make sure that I got my work done, um, but also the level of education we got Darlington. I mean, some you know, I remember that um, the score I got on my AP math, um, I did not have to take freshman. I did not have to take freshman and sophomore math, and then I and I went in uh, and to no, no no freshman. I didn't have to take freshman math, but I had to take a and then they, they asked me if I wanted to sit down for like a prelim exam to skip sophomore math. I sure why not, and I didn't. I, I didn't have to take math for like my junior year. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 Darlington was, 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 was an excellent education, and I, I'll reiterate that. And, and transferable to a, a program like Purdue uh, speaks volumes. Um, it was really phenomenal. So that was the academic side. So what happened, because the classes were quite easy for me, I got a little active, I got quite active socially. It was, I, I could have fun. Um, and, you know, I joined a fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi, uh, Fraternity Corporate, which is uh, a black Greek. Um, and, you know, it's, I joined that fraternity just because it, it, it the members of that fraternity are kind of the leading uh, um, African, African-American males 
uh, you know, it's it just it's just a uh, uh, it's a um, it's a turning associated with achievement. Um, and yeah, that was fun. That was great, and I got really involved not just not just socially, but you know, with associations and and you know, I was a chapter chapter uh, board member. Even got to provisional le- uh, provisional level in the fraternity in terms of uh, undergraduate board member. Um, yeah, so that was cool. Uh, and then I also, like I said, it was a Big Ten school. Uh, football games, basketball games. You know, um, my freshman year, we were our basketball program was ranked fourth in the country. Um, uh, I got to watch Drew Brees play sophomore, junior, senior year. And that 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 was amazing. I mean, I just you just knew it was this dude is going to the NFL Hall of Fame. Um, cool guy, actually. And I met him actually when we were both freshmen. Uh, because I mentioned earlier, I ran track, so I I actually walked onto the Purdue track team, um, and that was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun. Um, but then, unfortunately, uh, winter winter came in the Midwest, and we had to go indoors. <laughs> and in the indoor track, the indoor track is 200, 200 meters, uh, unlike the outdoor track. And our track uh, was hard; it was like running on concrete. It was old, probably you know, fifty years so. So I actually uh, got a knee injury. Um, that I never really recovered from. From that, but from that track. Yeah, yeah, because it was just it was hard impact, and it just it was winter. You know, my body just did not did not adjust. So I actually um, uh, kind of blew, uh, then blow. I pretty much I almost blew out my left knee, um, which was sad because that, that that ended the, the adventure very quickly. Uh, but uh, but I'm grateful just because I got I got the opportunity to to be a Division One athlete, and that was that was quite an experience. Uh, if anything. For the fact that I got to meet Drew Brees because we both had a similar injury, uh, and he was a freshman, he was he wasn't even a starting quarterback. And nobody nobody knew who Drew Brees was, um, and yeah, he was in the ice bucket next to me, and uh, I was rapping, and and you know, I think I don't know how it came about, but we started talking about tennis because he was a, a a high school state champion in Texas in tennis, so we started I didn't talking know about him. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but he was a tennis champion. Um, and we started talking about that and we just 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 kept talking and then you know it was kind of cool we, i think we like there was like three two or three days that that we were in in, in the the training room together uh i just kept rapping and then you know after that went our separate ways so i always tell people i knew drew Brees before he was drew Brees, over a tennis conversation not a football conversation uh <laughs> so yeah so that was that was that was kind of fun um i was quite active on campus as well uh many leadership positions you know activities social social groups um um, and yeah, I think, um, you know, Purdue was fun. It was a lot of fun, um, but especially through the Greek, um, the Greek system, because Purdue, when I was there, was the fourth largest Greek system or system in the, in the country. Um, and because of that, you know, people have a, a very negative kind of content. When you take, oh, I was Greek. Like, oh, you party. Yeah, maybe in some schools, but at Purdue, uh, you know, um, yeah, we party, don't get me wrong. but. Because the Greek system was so, it was rather ingrained into the, the university social life and culture. Um, it, it allowed us to do a lot of a lot of good things in the community, uh, on campus, um, and you know leadership positions on campus um, was also obviously through the Greek system. And you got to, you know got to meet a lot of a lot of great people. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was it was a great experience, except for the winter. That's about the only thing I'd have to complain Ooh, about. I can't even imagine. Midwest winter, it's not the temp- it's not the temperature, it's the wind. It's the wind. Well, I love hearing about your experience at Purdue. The Drew Brees connection is awesome. But more importantly, what I love hearing about is 
just how Darlington prepared you for it. But I love what you uh, what you shared with getting so active in your fraternity, taking on leadership positions, and and really becoming a leader on campus, which is amazing. So I'd love for you to tell us what what was next. What was what would you do after you left Purdue? Yeah, so, um, you know, having an aviation background was not, you know, I, this was right after September 11th, so that was not a good time for aviation um, at all. Um, globally, just the market pretty much you know, declined and uh, jobs as pilots, mechanics, any job really was not was not on, on the cards. Um, so what happened was actually I spent a, um, my junior, well, I think it was my senior year, uh, this is around the time Red Bull launched in, in the U.S., and they, and this is kind of a, a side, like sidebar completely, but so they, they, they had this position called student brand manager. So you're pro, basically a promoter on campus. And some, the, the, somebody kind of ref, referred me to it. Uh, said, oh, you know, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think that would do a great job. He's in aviation fast, whatever. He's, you know, he's active on campus. There's a lot of people. Um, so yeah, I ended up doing that for a little while, uh, you know, as, as a student brand manager and it was a paid position. So that was kind of cool. I did that for a little while. I was kind of, it's technically my first job. I was a student brand manager for Purdue, for Red Bull. So aviation was, was, a, was, a, was, a, was a no-go. Um, and I had the option to, 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 you know, to go down that, you know, the branding marketing line or, or leave the U.S., you know, just leave the U.S. and find, find a job outside. Um, um, I kind of was forced into that decision, but I remember I went back to Switzerland and I was like, you know what? Uh, I want to stick in the aviation industry, so let me let me start my let me do my master's. Uh, and I remember that was the summer, and I applied for a master's program to start the winter in January. Um, and actually, there's a gentleman who was at our at our church, my parents' church, um, Dennis Tuzzi, and he's like, you know, look, why don't you know, let's get you some experience while you're waiting to start your master's? What do you think about going to Afghanistan? I'm like, yeah, cool. And I, was, I, was, I was like 22 and. Of course, cool. This is mind you, this is like 2003, so the war has just ended, or technically it ended. Um, but they were like, it, "Cool." What did your parents say? Oh, my mom was like, "Oh my god, no!" My dad was like, "Go." I was like, "This is great, go do it." Um, but my mom, she, 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 she had a, but she had. I mean, like, it, it, it was such, it was such an experience I could not turn down because one, it was in my field, um, and it was aviation, and being able to put. And you know, putting that on my CV in being in Afghanistan. Uh, basically, it was an NGO. Um, uh, it's called Mission Aviation Fellowship. It's a Christian NGO actually that does a lot of humanitarian flights. Um, you know, uh, in, in really really difficult countries around the world. Uh, and what happens is actually when when they move into a when they're in a country that's not Christian friendly, uh, they have a, a sister company called PacTech, which is not affiliated directly with 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 the Christian organization. So I went. Worked with I went to, with PacTech. Um, I think I got there like in October. My mom, oh, I had to make a deal with my mom. She said you have to be home for Christmas. There's no way. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, fine. So I remember I went in October. Uh, my job was to be a, a mechanic. I was, I was an, a, a, a mechanic assistant, so you know, maintaining the aircraft. Uh, and but my main job was to build a hangar. They, they need they, they needed an aircraft hangar to be up before winter uh, to, to house the aircraft. So I did that. Um, what an experience what an experience yeah yeah the war is technically over but no it wasn't over um uh so there was yeah living in a war zone um was was just just an experience on its own but for me the the sense of responsibility and duty 
knowing what I was working on or doing actually affected helped people's lives. The quicker we fixed the aircraft and got them out of the hangar, um, you know, the the more supplies and, and humanitarian staff could you know can move around the country. The quicker I got the hangar built built, um, you know, that means it co- covered space. So when win- and I understood why because winter hit like in November and I was like, oh, because I remember in October it was scorching, hundred degrees outside. Um, then winter hit like it was. Monday and then winter hit on Tuesday. It was like, you know, sub freezing. Um, I understood why they wanted the hangar up so quickly. Um, so, you know, having the hangar also helped us turn over. Uh, and I just felt this sense of duty. Like I was actually helping the people of Afghanistan. And, um, and I also got to build a very, or forge a very close relationship with my local staff. Cause I kind of had a, a supervisory role. Um, that was, that was the, like the lowest ranking expat, but, uh, I had local staff under me to help me build with the, with the hangar. And, um, and there's something to be said about just the cultures, um, like the Eastern culture, the Oriental culture, because a lot of the a lot of things we do in Ethiopia, like the way we greet, so, so some of the um, the Semitic language words, similar. So I was able to build a bond with my staff, and um, that was phenomenal. Um, and you know, mind you, I was like 22. I actually, I had my 23rd birthday in Afghanistan. I had Afghan pizza, and then we went out for for. Uh, Lamb roast. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was actually my first job. So then I came back, did my ma- moved back to Switzerland after that, was doing my masters. Uh, and while I was doing my masters, I actually took up a teaching job at the international school there uh, as a teaching assistant, um, just you know, as, as kind of my my, my graduate job, um, which it was part time. Um, that was that was great. I got to work with little kids. Uh, I was I was a ESL uh, English as a second language uh, um, assistant. Yeah, man, man, yeah, little kids, man. That was five, six, seven-year-olds. That was amazing. <laughs> um, and teaching, I that experience, the utmost respect for all my teachers after that. Teaching is exhausting. You know, I remember the class, the the, the first bell rang at seven fifty-five, and the last bell rang at two p.m. I remember walking off, you know, off the campus like, oh my god, <laughs> that was exhausting. Now how long Every did you teach? A uh, year and a half. From like I think January, January, something. Yeah, because I started my career at Tag a year and a half, year and a half. Because um, because uh, I got my first full time job really in my field um, in 2005 with Tag Aviation, which um, is uh, was at the time before they, they sold it, uh, the, like the largest private aviation company in the world, and it was based there in Geneva. So I started as a handling agent and worked my way up into you know into the into the hangar. Uh, and I, was, I did like contract flying on the side uh, for uh, for Raytheon. Um, they had an aircraft there, a King Air, that they used for demonstration flights to sell. So I do that kind of as a side hustle. Um, and then you know, after many years of that, um, like I said, my dad moved back to Ethiopia, and I started coming back for I was coming back for holiday, started seeing, and you know, Ethiopian Airlines has always been a, a leading global airline, and, and it was really booming. Like at the time, around that time, it was really growing. And um, I had quite. I was looking at them, and then they end up recruiting me uh, in 2010 to come back and, and be a first officer on the 737. But when I look back, my entire career was my entire career was was, was not in commercial aviation. It was in you know humanitarian, private, um, you know the smaller aircraft, ad, what we call ad hoc flights, ad hoc aviation. Um, and I just didn't feel right. Like you know, I I remember asking like. They asked me, like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a pilot, a mechanic, or, or a manager? Because you can, you have kind of the CV for, for any one of the positions. I was like, I kind of want to do all three. 
They look at me like you're crazy. Like you have to pick one. Uh, and I was like, no, but I was able throughout my career, I was able to do that, you know, fly a little bit here, uh, work in the mechanic, uh, work in the, you know, the mechanic in the hangar and have some sort of managerial role at, at the same time or, super, or at least supervisory role in, in the office. Um, uh, I said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, and then I ended up coming back in 2012 and that's when I moved. I ended up working for a local operator, which had a smaller aircraft, uh, PC-12, which was in ad hoc flights. And so I got to do that. I got to, to do exactly that. I was, I was a pilot uh, when I, like, actually, I only flew when we had very important clients just to make sure, you know, service levels and, you know, language and, and whatnot. Um, but my main job was actually uh, director of, of marketing. So remember the Red Bull thing? That kind of came back full circle. I, I actually studied, you know, I actually did a minor in, in marketing when I did my master's and I just, just kind of fell into that. I, I just really just enjoyed, enjoyed marketing. So I was director of marketing. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it wasn't literally like I was flying, but basically, you know, flying on Monday in the office, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, go to the hangar on Thursday, check things out, Friday back in the office. So that was, that was, that was great uh, to have that, that, that flexibility. Um, and then eventually I got married and then my wife looked at me just one day, I'll never forget it. It was, it was actually like literally three weeks or a few weeks before my 35th birthday. And um, Lily was like, uh, so now why don't you start your own company? Like, why are, you know, why are you, I see you working this hard and you're an employee and, and they're benefiting from your skill sets and your experience and your hard work. I'm like, yeah, that's a cool idea. And I don't know if, these, if, if, if they kind of were in cahoots, but they, they claimed that they never talked to each other. But like the next week, a very close friend, oh, he's much older, he's like a mentor, took me out for coffee, said the same thing. He's like, you know, I think, I think you should just start your own thing. Like, you know, because I, I remember I, I called him for coffee because I was, I was frustrated. I was a bit, I, so my boss had pissed me off about something. And then I was like, you know, I, I just, so I called, I was like, hey, you know, I just want to talk to you about this. And I told him what had happened. I don't remember what had happened, but then he was like, Maybe um, maybe you should start your own thing. <laughs> and then my 35th birthday, dinner at my parents, and they were like, so Dalit, um, what will it take for you to start your own company? Happy birthday, we wanna invest, we, whatever you need, we'll support you, we'll, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's, what the, that's exactly what they were implying. They're like, we will help you set it up. And then that's how Crimson became born. Uh, that was October, 2015, uh, by December, uh, January, January 20, yeah, January 31st was my last day at National Airways. February 1st, 2020, 2015, I started my own company. Um, started off just in consulting. Uh, actually, we did a little bit of marketing as well, uh, of course. And uh, my first client was actually Emirates Airlines. We were, and it was to do their marketing in Ethiopia, to manage their marketing. Uh, yeah, so that was a major account that we want. Um, and then we started developing the flight support kind of ground, like the, uh, it's, it's a bit technical, but basically, Ad hoc flights don't have station managers at when the destinations they fly to. So they need someone to manage all aspects of the flight, especially the ground handling um, and the logistics once the aircraft's on the ground. Because, you know, like an, a commercial airline may have a station manager, they have staff um, at, at, at each base where ad hoc flights don't. So um, to start growing that at the same time, the marketing business really took off, really took off. Um, and in 2017, I actually sold the marketing division of Crimson to Simply Black Advertising, which is a South African based um, um, like franchise. It's now in 40 countries. Uh, and I actually am the, well, I guess you call it the managing partner or of that. So we, so that's kind of a, 
kind of a side, uh, yeah, I have a side, my, my, how do you say, my, my second passion became a side gig. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're actually one of the largest, now in Ethiopia, we're, we're the fourth largest advertising agency in the country. Uh, but the group okay. is, um, the group is, uh, as a group, it's the largest grassroots African, African uh, advertising group on the continent. Um, it's, so it's, that was kind of a blessing. I, and I look back to my Red Bull days and I was like, there was a reason. There was a reason for that job. Um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here because now it's all coming together. I'm like, okay, so you have marketing, you have an education background. We want students from Ethiopia. I see something going on here that that wasn't the plan. We need to talk about that off off camera. I will let you take that as far as you would like. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so, that's amazing. yeah and then at the same time, you know, um, spinning off spinning off um, uh, the, the the marketing business allowed me to focus on the aviation business um, because now I, had, I could tap into the, into into the, the resources across forty countries, you know, um, and, and and also financially. The um, you know the the backing of, of, of a major group like that allowed me to increase the staff and, and whatnot. So I started focusing on Crimson Aviation, and um, I remember I became you know I, I joined the African Business Aviation Association. Uh, started off you know just volunteering and then and really just showing up you know to conferences and helping out whenever I could. Um, ended up becoming an executive committee member, uh, voted in as the director of membership and uh, events. Um, and then now I'm a board director uh, for the association. Um, also, got started you know traveling a lot. Started traveling quite a, quite a lot extensively. You know, started for networking and, and marketing purposes. You know, I did learn my lesson there. So I use my own skill sets for my own company, um, and um, really just just built the brand first. You know, develop. You know, it's uh, when 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 I'd show up at a conference or or, or emails. You know, potential client or whatever it is. You know, when 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 they get to know your background, um, they it, they kind of whoa, okay, uh, this this guy is real. Um, you know, he's, he's well educated. He's uh, he understands uh, how the African market works, but he also understands you know European and North American expectations. Um, so that was a, a huge selling point for me. And um, yeah, the business grew uh, rapidly from 2018 to 2020, even 2012, even 2021. We've been averaging. 100% growth. Well, tell me in, um, I, I don't mean to record this question, but um, tell me exactly what Crimson Aviation is. What, what are you, so we have what four, is Crimson Aviation, yeah. So we have, four, we have four services. We have, the first one is flight support. Like I mentioned to you, the ad hoc. We manage, um, we manage um, basically corporate, but then due to COVID, we started doing air ambulances, uh, cargo flights, uh, humanitarian flights. Whenever an aircraft needs to get from point A to point B, first and foremost, they need like permits. So overflight permits and landing permits, right? That's the, where you start. So we process that with the, the respective civil aviation authorities. When the aircraft's on ground, um, they need services, whether it's fuel, catering, they need their passengers to be escorted to the terminal. Uh, the crew need X, Y, and Z. They need their flight plan to be to be filed. They, um, uh, you know, they, they, want, they need a laptop so they can communicate with their ops or a phone or whatever it is. Um, on the ground, whatever you can think of, an aircraft would require on the ground as well as the passengers because they don't have a station manager. So, you know, they don't have staff here to actually, you know, handle handle that. Um, we become, we bec the, the, we as flight support become that coordinator. Like, okay, we don't we, we don't we don't sell fuel, but 
we make sure that you know the fuel is ordered and the fuel is arrives at the aircraft. Uh, you know, if they need catering or if they need you know uh, whatever services they need, uh, you know, the, the crew needs a hotel booking. That's really kind of the the core service, uh, and we do that now in 15 countries in Africa. So we've expanded from one country into 15 countries, um, from one person myself to 13 staff now in Ethiopia and about I think about 20, 20, 25 agents across across the continent. Um, and so that, that business really grew. Uh, and then organically, what happened is what happened next was um, say someone flies in on a private jet um, and they need to go, they need to go, or they're a tourist or they're an investor or they're a businessman, and then they need to go to another, another airport or somewhere else in the country or the region that really doesn't support the, the, the airfield is too small or there is no airfield for them to, to, to take their private jet directly. So, they, so the, our clients would ask us, can you please charter? A helicopter or a smaller turboprop for us to take our clients um, uh, to these remote locations. So that started happening more and more and more. And then I was like, well, let me spin this off into actually a proper charter and leasing brokerage service. So we, we've started doing that. Um, and then, you know, we developed our network now. I think we have access to over 1,500 aircraft uh, globally uh, that we can charter from anywhere. Like if you, if you want to, if you and Sam want to charter a flight from Rome, Georgia to to Aruba, let me know. <laughs> yeah, so um, so there that, might be that, people in our Darlington community that might take you up on that offer. So I'll make sure I, to connect you. I have a feeling that there are some high net worth individuals that can uh, that already are doing that. So you know, this is something that that we we did, and then again, organically from the flight support service, um, if an aircraft arrived at the destination, we were we we were providing services. Um, you know, sometimes it land with a. a a mechanical, uh, mechanical emergency or failure, or even as simple as blowing a tire on landing. So now the aircraft is what you call AOG, aircraft on ground. They cannot leave till it's fixed. So then they come to us as like, oh my goodness, you know, what can we do? We need to get the aircraft out by tomorrow. And then this was when my 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 mechanics background would kick in, and I'd start coordinating. Okay, we'll get the we'll get the, the parts from from here. Uh, we'll get your mechanic from over here, um, and then you know, and then we'll come and we'll make sure that we you know coordinate all the services and then that, that kind of organically grew into like a you know parts and logistics service and uh what we call power by, by the hour program where we work with international partners where we, we sell maintenance programs um and then pure consulting uh, aviation consulting which is kind of my favorite part which is business development of clients um you know they they uh they request services such as again marketing for example is one of their favorite they always come to us and ask us for, mar for, for marketing consulting um operations, human resource, um, you know, because of the network that I've built through the African Business Aviation Association, but as well as through EBA, which is the European Business Aviation Association, also now the MBAA, which is the Northern um, National Business Aviation Association, which is the American uh, Business Aviation Association. So, um, so yeah, and then all of that just kind of culminated into probably the best honor I've received so far, except for my Darlington degree, uh, <laughs> uh, was uh, last month I was elected to the uh, International Business Aviation Council, which is kind of the governing body for business aviation. They have two boards, which is uh, one is the uh, ISBA board, International, International Standards for Business Aircraft Handling, and then ISBEO, which is Business Aviation Operations. Um, which is aircraft operations. One is for flight and one is for ground services. The ISBA is you know, on the ground. Uh, and I was elected to the board for that. And I'm the first African representative ever to be elected to the ISBA board. So 
yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a ride. Um, and when do you sleep? Uh, I actually, man, I remember one of my least favorite experiences at Darlington was the morning walk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and that 6 a.m., that, that taught me to wake up early. I, I'm a sleeper. Um, and naturally, and I still am late, I, I mean, I can stay up all night. That's my thing. I, I can work to 2 a.m., no problem. But um, recently I've had to learn, and through the you know, some of the executive programs I've been in, like, you know, the 5 a.m. club uh, is – you don't wake up at 5 a.m. because it's early, but there's things that you, you do during that, that quiet hour before the kids wake up and, and the house gets going uh, that really helps you set up and plan the rest of your day. Uh, and, yeah, that's really, yeah, I think it's been about yeah, it's been about a year. Actually, COVID helped me with that, um, you know, because of the lockdown and everything. I really took, you know, being being locked on lockdown, which was volu- actually voluntary lockdown. We didn't have an official lockdown here in Ethiopia, but... You know, I closed the office down and said we're working from home, except for the operations team, actually, because they have to be at the airport. Um, but, yeah, I learned a lot about time management and, and, and prioritizing, you know, some of the biggest challenges of being a CEO or, or being an entrepreneur. Let's just, yeah, being an entrepreneur, it's a very difficult transition to CEO because it's your baby. Delegation is a problem. Uh, you know, you, you nobody can you, you do it as good as you. Yeah, exactly. So I had to learn. I had to learn to delegate in 2020, um, uh, and to, and and that helped me actually, you know, like I actually had more time. Uh, at one point, um, you know, Wednesday afternoons was was off. Uh, I'd go pick up my kids from school, and that was Wednesday afternoon was my, my time with my boys. Um, so yeah, um, I was doing more by doing less, uh, by learning to be a, or transitioning from an entrepreneur to a to a CEO. So. That was that was quite a quite a, quite a lesson. Dawit, there's a lot of really good nuggets of advice that I don't think you realized you were sharing just now. I mean, 5 a.m. taking time for family, all of that. So let let me officially ask you, uh, what advice do you have for those listening who are either interested in being an entrepreneur or going into aviation, or quite frankly, getting ready to go to college? What advice do you have for those listening that could help them? benefit from your experience? Yeah, I think, I mean, to be perfectly honest, um, and I'm, I'm sure parent, parents probably are not going to be too happy to hear this, but do what you love. If, I mean, honestly, like if there is something, like you said, you know, we were saying we're offline, we we're talking about, you know, like it's a traditional doctor, lawyer, you know, engineer, whatever, that this, this, this automated like track or path that our that our parents or society wants us to have and deems that as success. No success. I, I mean, for me personally, success is is accomplishing what you love and doing it well. You've succeeded in life. You know, whether you're an artist, um, whether you're a cook, whether you're a, a, a pilot, an engineer, whatever you do, if you if you're doing what you love and you're good at if you're and you're good at it, you've succeeded because. You have, you have fulfilled um, something deeply rooted, like something inside you. And that's something also I learned about, like the connection between, you know, the universe, which you give back and all, just the whole mental and psychological and emotional um, connection between our body, mind, soul and the outside world. Um, and if you're doing what you love, you will show up every single day with a smile on your face. I remember um, right, out, right, out of the, right out of college, um, this is actually right before I went to Afghanistan, a friend of mine sent me this quote or it's a proverb, a Chinese proverb. It says, if you, if you, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, and that's all I can say. 
and, and just what you're passionate about, nurture it, grow it. And, and to be perfectly honest, yes, not all our passions are, are, are financially viable. I'm not saying, you know, be homeless, but don't give up on that dream. Don't forget, don't, don't give up on that passion. If you need to work, you know, a second job, uh, if, you know, uh, and, and trust me, my, my goodness, some of the jobs I've done in college, you know, I, I, clean, I, I still clean my house very well because of the lessons I learned in, in, in college. Um, if you got, you know, if you make sure you, you can support yourself, make sure there's food on the table and, and roof over your table, but don't give up on that passion because it will, you know, if you, if, if, if you exude positive energy into your passion and into the universe, the universe will return that to you and you will, you will succeed in what you love to do. So just don't give up, just st- stay true and faithful to your passion. Dawit, you need to add a motivational speaker to your CV because, I mean, that's good stuff right there. I could go on with you all day, and so we might need to do podcast number two. Um, it was a pleasure, actually. Uh, absolute pleasure. I'm loving it. Well, Dawit, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today, for sharing with us your experience and uh, some some advice. And one of the things that uh, we would like to ask you is if you'd be willing to be there for anybody in the community or any listeners who are interested in your fraternity, in your college, in your journalism experience, or general advice, or networking, or mentoring in, uh, quite frankly, any of the fields that you've shared with us today, and, and if you'd be willing to do that. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, I, yeah, I would definitely love to, anything, anything that uh, former, current, future students, family, parents, alumni, whatever it is, um, staff, any way I can help, you know, I think um, as our 25th anniversary is coming up, it's also given me an opportunity to really think about Darlington and my experience. And, and I've definitely come to the conclusion that I want to give back to the Darlington community because of the great things that we both walked away from Darlington with. Um, and, you know, of course, it wasn't it wasn't great every single day, every minute, but uh, focusing on the positive um, has made me realize that, yeah, um, and, and I don't know if I, I should say this on the record, but I, I do owe a debt to Darlington. Darlington. Uh, my, my success owes a debt to, to Darlington, so I would gladly be able to, I would love to, actually, I would love to um, be able to be of service in any field, in any, any, any way you, you need my support, I'm there. Thank you for being here today. I can't wait to see you for our 25th reunion. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate it. And uh, a big shout out to the class of 1997. Woo! Absolutely. We're glad that you tuned in to this episode of the Darlington Podcast. Tune in each week wherever you like to listen to podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. You can check out today's show notes at www.darlingtonschool.org podcast. If you have questions about today's program or ideas for a future episode, send an email to communications at darlingtonschool.org. The Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia, is a collaboration between the Communication, Advancement, and IT teams and the intro music is student-produced. See show notes and hear more episodes at www.darlingtonschool.org podcast.